Hey y'all, welcome to the Moringa School podcast. Karibu sana. This week we were joined by Steve Odhiambo. He's an African investor leading a path to create opportunity for young entrepreneurs in Africa. So if you have a mental pen, get it out. And if you actually have an actual pen, just write down a few notes. Thank you. So hello everyone. Welcome back to the Moringa School podcast. Uh, today we are delighted to have a lovely, lovely guest, uh, Steve Odhiambo. Uh, I'll let the rest, of, the rest of the team members introduce <laughs> themselves. Hi guys, it's Melissa. Welcome back. Hi, my name is Michelle. Welcome back. Hi, it's Kevin. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, it's Eugene. Welcome back to the podcast. So today with us, as Victor said, we have Steve Odiambo. I'll let him introduce himself. Thanks so much. Steve Odiambo is my good name. Um, I run something called the African Investor Club. So, which is essentially a platform that connects African entrepreneurs with investors from the diaspora, hence the term African investor. I run two uh, tech startups as well, um, Ukwapi, which is a location-based services startup, and uh, Colma, which deals in e-health solutions. So, I'm guessing today we want to talk about the African Investor Club. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, Steve, uh, what got you started? What got you interested in entrepreneurship, running a business? When was the first time you decided to run a business or to start anything up? Do you recall? Yeah. Great question. Um, I think it was more the desire to do my own thing mm-hmm. and just chart my own path. That was like, that's my driving force. So um, I went to Germany to study engineering because I love to solve problems. But then somewhere along the way, I figured out, hey man, um, <clears throat> a lot of the things that are built around us, a lot of the businesses, solutions, actually built by um, people who essentially think outside the box. And um, that resonated with me. So another thing is I, I just don't like working for people. Yeah. <laughs> So that's another driving force. So when you have to pay the bills and you don't work for anyone, you have to work for yourself. That's how I got started about five years ago. So can you say that um, you, you've never worked for anyone? Oh, I have. Mm -hmm. I have because these bills, they just don't go away. Yeah. So what was your first job? Um, My first job. So I left Kenya when I was 18. I had worked in Kenya, but, you know, just informal, not really on a payslip. Mm-hmm. My first job in Germany was in, uh, no, I was doing uh, uh, garbage. Yeah. I was like, you know, when you ride the truck and you take out, that was my first job. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 12 hour shifts. It was crazy. Wow. So what can you, um, did you learn anything from that time or what is the greatest thing that you learned from that time when you worked in a garbage collection organization? Um, the greatest thing I learned was this work ethic mm-hmm. because, um, the first 12 hour shift I did, I was so proud. I called my mom like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause the, the, the biggest learning was work ethic. Yeah. Just, you need to get up, go to work and work. Cause work is work, right? Work is work. Yeah. Yeah. So since you've mentioned you like problem solving, a question I have for you is what is your process when it comes to solving problems and challenges? Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll take you back just a bit. Um, there's this notion that that people need to specialize. You know, if you're a lawyer, you do law stuff. If you're, if you're a doctor, you do medical stuff. 
So I, I believe <clears throat> you can become anyone you want to become in order to solve a problem. So that's the starting point. Then the second thing is, I believe in collaboration. So I don't have all the answers. No one does, right? So it's just about figuring out, okay, well, this is a problem. Clearly it's a problem for someone. Um, I might know how to do it better, but someone knows, you know, another way to do it. So um, my approach is always, all right, get all the information you possibly can about that problem and try and partner and collaborate with people who are more experienced in solving that problem. They might just not see it the way you see it, right? So then as a, um, as an entrepreneur, you're supposed to have, um, you're supposed to be able to connect the dots, sort of bird's eye view, right? So yes, specialists are great because they know everything about that particular field, but you need to be the one who sees what each specialist doesn't see. And that's how you can solve a problem, you know, in a different way than it's currently being solved. Can you say that um, you working with a specialist was sort of a mentorship program kind of thing? And do you think mentorship is important in entrepreneurship? That's a good question, Michelle. What happens is um, people who think outside the box tend to be hard-headed. So it's a strength and it's a weakness. Hard-headed in the sense you might not be coachable. Mm. Yeah? yeah? You have to accept that fact. You might not be coachable because in some sense you think I can do it better, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But then again, you have to balance it out and go, okay, well, if someone has been working in that field for X years, they've been doing what I want to do for X years, there's something I can learn from them. Right? So um, it, it's, a, it's a delicate balance between um, do I, do I believe that whatever I think is a better solution could actually work because more people more experienced than you, they've not seen it. So they'll be like, no, it won't work. So in that sense, you need to be hard headed enough to push the envelope. Yeah. And then again, at the same time, you know, be humble enough to listen, you know, to people who are more experienced than you. That's why I keep saying self-esteem, self-confidence, arrogance. That's how it goes. Mm -hmm. And in your view, do you think that Kenyan entrepreneurs possess those qualities? And if we don't, what's the reason or what's the underlying factor? See, Melissa, what happens is, um, well, I might not have mentioned this. I dropped out of college, right? Ah. <laughs> I dropped out mainly because um, I didn't believe... Um, like I, I believe that a lot of what happens in education is indoctrination. So yes, you get skills imparted, but then to an extent you're being taught what to think and how to think, right? Mm. So um, going back to your question, when we talk about Kenya, we all know the 844. I think they're doing away with it now. Huh? Yeah. So that system will churn, you know, graduates or from four levers that think a certain way, we are seeing those results now. Right? Yeah. Uh, I have people, uh, like last week I had friends come in from the US and they're like, uh, why don't you wear any Kenyan garb? I'm like, uh, we don't have Kenyan garb. Only the Maasai is wear there, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the thing is what? <sighs> we were so quick to fit in as far as colonialism is concerned and the education system was built by the colonialists. 
like if you go back and research 844 and, and free education actually happened in the 70s not not when kibaki came mm-hmm. so when you when you research that you find out that the education system makes you think a certain way and that means that look at um look at how the nigerians are doing it they're able to break through because they're extremely self-confident borderline arrogant but if you grow up or you're brought up in a system that you know you're passive you, you don't complain look at what happens in matatus mm-hmm. yeah driver is speeding you yeah, just, just quiet and yeah you know so i think it's more of how we've been trained so a mindset shift needs to happen in the sense that now you start to think okay well i can do it and do you think that the mind shift can be done at a later stage in life where people are already adults and they've been used to this system or do we have to wait until this new generation of people that are you know in a different education system and perhaps even we as the new generation of parents that will be coming around we'll have to raise our kids in a certain way so that we can experience this shift in our mindset as a conclusive way in, in the entire country that is The thing about the thing about mindset shift is or rather excuse me um it it it's difficult to change someone's mindset if they are already adults it has to happen you know they have to decide for themselves you can't do it for someone yeah. that's one thing and then the second thing is when you talk about the new generation when you talk about you know oh, the people sitting in this room ourselves again it's just a conscious decision a big part of it is information so once you know how things work that's the game changer mm. once you know how things work you know you can only um you know people remain in a certain mindset because they don't know better they don't know what they don't know so information is number one. look at the kids who are um burning schools sometime back and i love that generation of sort <laughs> 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 because they just don't care mm they know what's happening everywhere in this world so you can't lie to them you know yeah. when we were in high school yeah i mean the teacher would come through and that's it that's the truth if you don't read the papers on sunday you not know what's happening mm-hmm. you know yeah and and some teacher on geography class that that say something out of a textbook you can't verify that information yeah mm-hmm. and it's the truth so now any i don't know you guys have probably seen at a party someone you know says something ah this thing everyone just google yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even right here in a podcast yeah. Yeah. you might want to ask a question but i'm not sure and you take your phone now so you can do google the fact that's yeah. the game yeah. changer i think yeah. i think this information sorry this generation whether young or old mm. if you have an open mind if you're willing to learn all the information is at your fingertips mm. and you'll know what's actually happening and then you can decide okay well does it make more sense to stay in this mindset or change is it working for me yes or no so another question i have is when it comes to getting specialists how do you build a team especially let's say you are you're a, you're a founder of a tech startup and you have no technical experience how do you get that technical co-founder or is it necessary to have a technical co-founder or what are the chances of success if you do not have a technical co-founder versus when you have a technical co-founder yeah i think if you're building a technical you know a tech company then you you, you need a tech co-founder if you're not the tech founder mm-hmm. that's that's just um you know extremely essential part of the business mm-hmm. 
Um, on the other hand, so so it depends. So number one, of course, the idea is is the starting point, right? And then um, you need someone to build whatever it is you're trying to build. So to answer your question, I think that greatly influences the success of the startup. You you need that person because that's the core business. So how how, for example, in your own experience, how did you go about choosing your technical co-founders? Okay. Yeah. So uh, mine has been a long path. So um, when I first started out, I had two co-founders who were like way more experienced, like PhD holders and all that stuff. But then again, the chemistry has to be right. right. And the mindset has to be right. Yeah. <coughs> so I remember bringing them in. They thought, well, great, you know, GPS, uh, digital addresses. They thought, cool, mm-hmm. L- you know, short-term vision. And for them, it was something they could just, you know, do on the side and cash out mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. And that clearly didn't work. So uh, as far as a technical co-founder is concerned, the, the chemistry really has to has to fit. Mm-hmm. So in my, in my story, um, those two, you know, didn't work out. And then after that, but now I was fortunate enough to raise money. So there's two ways to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's two ways to do it. Either you bring someone on board, sweat equity, mm-hmm. Or you hire someone, right? So if you are, if you are, if you start out as a, because I did, I started out as a solo uh, founder, only with an idea, and then I was able to, you know, figure out how to do the numbers, the business model, all of that, the concept, and then now I started looking for um, the tech co-founder. And I was able to raise money before that. So when I when I had my first hundred thousand, I was able to hire someone. Hundred thousand euros. Yeah, so I was able to hire someone. You know, so that's another way to do it. If if you can figure out how to get the money for the business, then you hire someone, and then there's much less friction. You know, because again, um, when I talk about chemistry, I mean people have different motivations, yes. different interests. Yeah. Oh, I just got a baby. Oh, I need to move. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very different interests, uh-huh. and and if those interests don't align, you have a big problem. So I saw this passive aggressive tweet the other day <laughs> and this guy said, he's one of those social media people. He said, if we want our software gig to take off, once we get an office, if we look for three middle-aged white dudes to hang around the office. Do you think that this is true of startups starting in Africa that you need a white person yeah. to, in order to succeed or to get funding? That's a good one. That's a very good one. Um, you're familiar with the Mzungu factor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Um, okay. Just for listeners, could you for tell us what it yeah, is? Let me yeah. break it down. So that's exactly what Michelle just said. You need a white face in order to raise cash. Why is that? Um, I'll go back to your initial question about the software developer leaving, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The thing about Mzungu factor is look at where the cash is coming from. Look at the venture capital landscape in Kenya or even Africa. Look at where the money is coming from. So if you follow the money, you'll know where that money will go. That's why you have the Mzungu factor. That's why you go to IHUB, Nairobi Garage, all these places, and it's like you're you're somewhere in Silicon Valley. (laughs) (laughs) So that being said, about the software developer leaving. Maybe help me understand that part of the tweet a little more. Uh, this guy said, um, if he he and his partners wanted to start a gig a software 
gig yeah. and and they wanted it to, it to take off they would have to look for this is what someone told them they would have to look for like middle-aged white people to hang around the office in order to show that maybe they are serious about the project or okay. now it has more chances to succeed okay yeah. now i get you the, for the for the gig to take off yeah right? for the gig to take All off right. that's exactly that's mzungu factor right mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. because if you have them there you have better chances of raising money mm-hmm. really yes okay. it's unfortunate mm-hmm. and, and may i ask why now um look at um look at the hubs look at um you guys are aware that uh, you, you know of ifc yeah ifc is is it world bank yes uh, yeah, yeah you know yeah. yeah so now you have development organizations or you know that kind of aid investing in startups right mm-hmm. Like ask yourself why is that happening? And IFC is putting in a lot of money, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? So <clears throat> same thing is happening in Germany now. So like foreign aid has become they've become investment arms. And what does that mean? They are pushing a lot of money, but that money is going to go back. Either it's the same thing that's been happening okay. in development mm-hmm. aid. Mm-hmm. So now they say okay, listen. So we're not going to give them uh free money or sijunini grants and stuff. So now we're going to invest in businesses because it's more sustainable, yes? Yeah. But then who are we going to invest in? Not some guys out of uh, Dandora who have, yeah. have built an app that will do ABCD. Yeah. If those guys from Dandora have some lady from Frankfurt or Berlin, mm-hmm. then we'll invest in them. There's something called um implicit bias. Right? Yeah. So I will invest in someone who looks like me. It's subconscious. It happens in my subconscious. Why? Because I trust that person. You know, mm-hmm. when I came to understand that point, it all made sense. Okay. But then again, to answer your question, once you know, especially now as African, mm-hmm. we know, okay, a ton of money is coming in. That money is foreign. Mm-hmm. It's going to find its way back to those countries. You need to understand how things work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to find its way back to those countries. Now, the only reason that an abundance of foreign capital is coming in is because there's a lack of local capital. Now, that's where I came in with the African okay. investor because I figured, look, the only way we'll change this is if the guys who are building apartments here down the road, mm-hmm. if they understand that there are different asset classes Mm-hmm. I can do my real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, I can have it in my portfolio, but I can also have some risk investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I can invest in the next big thing in you know, in 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's what our investors haven't understood. Mm-hmm. So that's why I do masterclasses, I do meetups. Mm-hmm. I I had to become and that's the point I started with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to become, you know, the person you need to become in order to solve a problem. Yeah. So we need awareness creation we need investor education we need all of that because trust me there's an abundance of local capital mm-hmm. guys have cash yeah so um do you think i don't call them rich africans maybe mm-hmm. africans with resources yes. do you think they're giving <laughs> yeah your resources yeah. can't just Same be difference. money yeah, yeah. it can be equipment yeah. yeah so do True. you think africans with resources are giving back to africans who are now coming up Or why are they risk averse? What are the mm-hmm. is there a historical reason um why don't we like taking as much we as Africans mm-hmm. why don't we like taking on as much risk as people from 
you know, the West or other places. Mm. There's a line by, um, someone can Google it, but I think it's from Warren Buffett, Mm -hmm. where he says, it's only a risk if you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) True. And that's, I live by that. It's, if you don't know what you're doing, you're risky. So, so you're saying it's that there isn't a, a better level of awareness Correct. among the people with resources. Correct. So we need to educate more people or these people on the viability of the tech sector, regardless of the risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It just needs to be awareness. They need to know. Okay. So, because if you look at the trends, like what's happening in the Western world, mm-hmm developing countries will catch up sooner or later. So if, if all of them are coming in now and they're investing in these businesses that you don't even know about, you've never heard of, and then a hundred million, you need to ask yourself, what do they see that we don't see? Mm. Awareness. And are you seeing Africans like you when you travel around Africans who have drive, who have passion for what they do, who want to see a better Africa. Are you seeing such Africans around even our age? Yeah. In the diaspora. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. There's a lot of them in the diaspora, but the thing is, um, I think, you know, so there's, there's a, there's a thin line between you want to effect change and you need to pay your bills. You know, there's a very thin line. Mm -hmm. So what happens most of the time is, again, it goes back to self-confidence, self-esteem. Like, do you believe you can do what you love and survive and make money doing it? Because effecting change means you have to go against the grain. A lot of, excuse me, a lot of what's happening now is, it's not by accident, it's by design. Mm -hmm. You go to hubs, you find a lot of foreigners, you find a lot of, you know, it's by design. So these are systems that are built by foreigners foreigners and foreign institutions and they have, you know, goals in mind. Um, what we see, especially in the diaspora is there's a lot of survival mode. And by survival mode, I mean, um, if I can get my job, like when I do master, when I do, when I did my first masterclass in, in Nairobi, mm-hmm. the turnout was three to four times more than what I get in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. When, what I get in Zurich or mm-hmm. Berlin, mm-hmm. simply because down here people are hungrier. People want to affect it because you don't have a choice. Either you roll over mm-hmm. or you do something. Mm-hmm. It's necessity. Mm-hmm. It's necessity. Yeah. And then in the diaspora, you find, you know, because systems work, you can get a job. I think people, they are more comfortable. So the percentage of uh, change makers is much lower than down here. Mm-hmm. Because they, well, they don't need to, mm-hmm. you know, hustle and try and build something new. Mm-hmm. They plug into Bosch or GE and they mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. They make their money. So as far as that's concerned, there's a, there's a slight difference. I think down here, there are more, you know, change makers, more people who want to see the system change mm-hmm. than out there. And to coming back to your being a well-traveled man, uh, beyond the, the the fact of funding where, you know, uh, the white VCs fund their own, uh, is there any other culture that you've maybe noticed or a trend that makes uh, startups, tech startups in the foreign countries uh, succeed a lot more and on a much bigger scale than they do in Africa? Mm, that's a very good question. So in Germany, we have Turks. Big community, I think it's like mm-hmm. three million Turks, and they make money. 
So, so they came in as workers and I think it was in the 60s, 70s to sort of rebuild. And they've been there ever since families, you know, they have a massive community <coughs> and they're very active in business. I'll compare the Turks in Germany to Indians in Kenya, Somalis in Kenya. <laughs> so it, it's, it's about resources. It's about human capital, social capital. It's about they, they can pull resources and do something. I've met Somalis who they invest in businesses without even signing any documents. Like, okay, you have this idea, what you want, a hospital, how much? 20 million, boom. It's based on good faith. Yeah. It's based on good faith. And they even shop, even if they open a shop, you'll find other Somalis they supporting go there. them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They yeah. go there. Yeah. The Turks do the same thing. They have, they have communities. They have like Isilis. They all live there. Mm. They open uh, butcheries, barbershops. <laughs> they all go there. Yeah. So they've understood that economics. Mm. You know, so um, to answer your question, I feel like um, out there, it's, it's really about communities need to understand, okay, so we need our own banks. It's, it's about controlling capital. Yeah. So if, if I go out there and I work and I get paid, where does my money go? Because if I, if I get paid and my money goes to an African barbershop, an African supermarket, mm-hmm. then that money circulates there. And if I stayed in Germany long enough, my son would be employed there. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all about uh, resources and pulling resources together. That's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And understanding that you're a community and working together as one rather than there's sort of an individualism when it comes to... Uh, investorship in, 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 in Kenya or rather in Africa in general. Mm-hmm. And I feel like according to what, you, you, what you're saying, that's the key difference between we and they in that they understand that it is us together to raise each other mm-hmm. as opposed to here when, when someone has money, the first thing they think about is building an apartment down the road mm-hmm. rather than mine. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. mine. Control, control, it's that yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're definitely right. Like if you, um, communities to look at is, um, communities like uh, the Jewish community in the US. Mm-hmm. You guys need to take a look at, um, I think it's a documentary, something about how the Jews built, I can't remember the name, but it's about how they built the uh, the movie industry in Hollywood. Uh, you need to watch that. Then you understand, you know, it's all about, okay, so industry, which industry are we good at? And then build that, pull resources, human, social, everything you need, and then that sort of starts to generate capital. Your people get employed. And that's how it goes. So, so right now, if I go back to your example of, of building apartments, individualism, um, you know, how many people do you employ if you build a 80 unit apartment block? Right. Very few people who you are paying below minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not actually creating opportunities mm. that can put any part in the society. Exactly. And after they build it, like after it's done, you have like five or six people who are like, you know, managing the property. Mm-hmm. So it's about, like you say, thinking about scale and impact. Impact. Mm-hmm. Scale and impact. So that means, um, that's why I use the example of Andela and a thousand uh, software developers. You know, if you do something like that, then a thousand people get jobs. Mm-hmm. A thousand households, you know, have a livelihood, mm-hmm. right? So I'll go back to saying it's about education and awareness. And now this is important. And 
our local investors, first of all, don't even think of themselves as investors. Mm-hmm. That's why I chose the term or the name African investors. Mm-hmm. You remember growing up, foreign investor, if you hear that term, it's a white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. White. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, here's something to think about. Um, I'm sure you all have family, friends that are in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. When they send you $100, isn't that the same as um, Ameri- you know, an American or a European sending $100? Yeah. The value is the same. So now, that Kenyan living in the US sending back $100 is actually a foreign investor. You get? Yeah. If you break it down, mm-hmm. if you break it down, the value of that $100, whether it's going to come from US aid or it will come from uh, Njoroge, who's in Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. it's the same. So once people understand that, number one, if you're out of this country, you're a foreign investor because of your foreign, foreign exchange. Mm-hmm. If you're in this country, you're an, you're an investor. Whether you send your mom 10,000 shillings in the village to set up a grocery shop, you're investing. So you need to start thinking as such. So you're like, okay, well, mom, if I sent you 10,000, what are your margins? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. what, what impact will my 10,000 shillings have on your business? And milestones. So if you hit that target, you say, yeah, next week, can you get a stock? I'll have this much. So if you hit that, I'll send you another 10,000. So yeah. a, mind, a mindset shift. Mindset shift and also just education so that people know well, if I did it for my mom, <coughs> my guess interesting. If I did it for my mom, I can do it for 10, 20 other women. That same grocery shop somewhere in Siaya, mm-hmm. and we were able to scale, we were able to do some marketing kidogo. So now, so now she's making 20% more revenue. We set up another one in Busia. Yeah. That's the thinking. The guy selling um, boiled eggs. Apparently they make a lot of money. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. If if I can invest, just to break it down, if I can invest in that guy and have him increase his revenues by X percent, why can't we replicate that? So he's in Westy, he has another one in Buru, he has another one in Langata. That's the thinking. Franchising. Mm. Franchising. That's the thinking that needs to happen. Scale. Mm-hmm. Instead of just creating one idea, <coughs> me here. Replicate. But you said that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious to know your view on investment groups in Kenya, you know, Chamas, um, Sarkos. Do you think they are, do you think they could do more? Or what's your view on what's been your experience interacting with them? First of all, they control a lot of capital. Mm. They control a lot of capital. So there's an abundance of, of, of money there. Again, it's just about awareness and education. So they will go for the traditional investments. They'll go for the investments they know. They buy a hundred acres somewhere in Ruido. Subdivide. Yeah, watermelons and chicken. They do, <laughs> they do what they know yeah. because they don't know better. Yeah. Right. So um, um, I'm going to answer your question by saying this. That awareness and education needs to come from someone or from people they can relate to. You think that Sako, CG, Boda Boda riders, you think they'll come to IAB? Right. No, they yeah. won't. They won't come to IAB exactly. to listen to how to scale your business. Right. 
they won't come to any one of these startup events because again the startup ecosystem has is bougie yeah it's mm. very entrepreneurial yeah. 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 yeah even the term some of them can't even pronounce entrepreneur or spell yeah. it or spell it yeah so so that shift it has to be done by you and i it has to be done by people who understand okay so you know this group of people who've been saving this much money this is their level of thinking so how do you you know expand their level of thinking and help them understand that hey so try out this any even the vc firms its percentages they have like 5% or 10% or 20% that goes into high risk investments mm-hmm. that needs to be broken down you know and it has to be it has to be said explained in a language they'll understand you know it has to be local so you we should, there should be more of like opening up the ecosystem and getting the info and reaching out to people at a grassroots level correct mm. oh, okay. why don't we have hubs in buru mm-hmm. or eastlands mm. not even one or is not there even one? One. maybe i don't know Mm. Yeah. True. That's actually the same thing that um Chris and Anu were saying at one of the events mm-hmm. that why isn't anyone trying to because you'll find that all these people wake up at four in the morning, five in the morning to commute to Kilimani. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is yeah. why not just have something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At Jaguar. More localized, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um so Steve, tell us about some of the work you're doing with the African investor to try and get this education out there. So the main, uh, like the first thing I said, this was about two years ago. So I figured, okay, if you want to unlock that capital, you need to, uh, I know I've repeated myself a lot of times, but you need to educate people. Mm-hmm. So um, I started by doing the masterclass, mm-hmm. which is a full day event where, you know, I have people come in and then you train them. So you break everything down. Mm-hmm. And in the diaspora, you have more of uh, people who want to invest, right? It's a smaller group. But the people who, you know, they have jobs, they don't want to start anything. They don't want to uh, quit their jobs, but they want to put their money to work. That's the biggest group I got out there. So I would break it down. I'd show them, excuse me, how to conduct due diligence, how a term sheet looks like. I'd show them how to negotiate, how to value a company teach them about that. So then they start to get in the mindset of an investor. And then when I came down here, so I was in Uganda, uh, I was in uh, Rwanda as well. So down here you find more of startups, you know, people who are starting businesses and they want to raise money for those businesses. So in, you know, in, in Europe and in Africa, there was a slightly different uh, context or target market. But uh, the masterclass and then the meetup, you know, Melissa attended one of my meetups you know so then you have you build community you build community of of you know a community of people who then see things differently that's the starting point see things differently enough to go okay um we can do it too um how how has that journey been like what type of re- reception like are you getting from the african investors so to speak reception has been um again you know there's so the african community is is a low trust mm. unfortunately whether you're out there or you're or you're down here so it has been a lot about people need to trust you so if if i'm the messenger they need to trust me <clears throat> right so my credibility my integrity what i say 
you know, they're going to judge me based on that. And then that takes a while to build. Mm. So, you know, I've been doing videos on Facebook, Instagram, that kind of thing to build that trust. So once you have that trust, then you have people coming up to you and saying, okay, well, I have X thousand dollars, X thousand euros. Mm. Where can I put that money? But trust is the first step. That has been my experience. And go ahead. What do you look for, especially when you're, when you're deciding to give a particular business the amount of money that you want to give them? Like, let's say this, um, this business, let's say it's a shop, I'd give them like 10 Gs or this other place, I'd give them like, what is your criteria for awarding businesses a certain amount of money? All right. So what happens is um, I connect the business to the investor and then the investor decides, okay, I like the person, I'll invest, right? So I'm simply matchmaking. I don't manage any of the funds. It's not like they deposit the funds in my account or anything. I just matchmake. And um, my role there would be, I have an obligation to the investor. So I have to vet that deal. Mm -hmm. So my criteria would be, I would look at the numbers. I'd look at the founder. Okay, so how long have you done this? You know, are you doing this full time or it's part time? You know, and if, and if those, uh, uh, you know, things check out, then I know, okay, well, this is a credible investment or a, or a, or a, or a credible investment opportunity. And um, I remember at one of the master classes, one of the venture capitalists said that they invest when you're at post revenue stage. So when it comes to just, you know, Africans not trusting each other as much or at the same level, do you think, when do you think is the best time for an African founder or a startup in Africa operating in Africa to seek funding? Is it at ideation stage when you post revenue, when you're, what's been your experience like? My experience has been most people want to see post revenue startups. Yeah. And I think it's a big challenge mm. because they want you to get there and you're, you're trying to get there. You need them in order to get yeah. there. So um, I think that's a bit of a chicken egg mm -hmm. problem that we are facing in Africa now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're in Frankfurt, if you're in Silicon Valley, you get money thrown at you just by, you know, coming up with a great concept. You have a great team mm -hmm. and people will go like, okay, we believe in you. Take this cash, go and try it. So we need to get there. We're not there yet. We need to get there. Um, the excuse has always been post-revenue startups are lower risk, right? So then again, you're coming into a high risk market and you still want to, you know, reduce that risk. risk yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a bit, um, yeah, it's just a chicken egg problem. Yeah. Mm. So I believe um, the mindset shift needs to happen where, okay, yes, People need to know that they can try and invest. You, you have a group of people who will go for lower risk investments, post revenue, but you then also need to have a group of people who are willing to take the risk and just try out ideas that you think are great, a team that looks great. Mm -hmm. You might lose some money, but you will still make some money. We need that as well. That's how the ecosystem can grow. And speaking of losing money, um, there's this famous saying that um, as an African, you have to work twice as hard just to get half. So when it comes to failure and making a mistake, do you think that we are allowed the same sort of 
level playing field obviously it's not true but yeah. what's your view on investing in someone or an idea and it might fail mm-hmm. but just giving Africans a platform to try and to test and to iterate um, do you know of any companies or any venture capitalist firms that you know allow, allow that should we be allowed <laughs> if anything <laughs> you know allowed is the wrong word yeah <laughs> And actually to build, build on that is the way in Silicon Valley, the, the the aspect of failing is sort of glorified to some sort of extent. Mm. So is it is it okay? And should we really mirror that? And to what extent, if you are to embrace failure, to what extent should we make it allowable? Because it shouldn't be a case of throwing good money after bad opportunities. Mm, yeah. mm, mm. I'll, I'll go back to the term permission or should we be allowed mm-hmm. given a chance given a chance or take it <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's where I'm going you need yeah. to take it yeah. power is not given <laughs> you, yeah. have yeah. to, you have to take it yeah. and, and how does that happen when it comes to capital it needs to come from us mm-hmm. because if it doesn't come from us then that person who's giving the capital is going to dictate well I'll only give it to post revenue right startups and that's it mm-hmm. if you look at um the the VCs that are that are active in in Kenya or even Africa, mm-hmm. so they have a ton of money, and they need to deploy that money in X years. So what do they do? They deploy it in larger chunks. Mm-hmm. That's why they look at. Are you looking to raise a million? Okay, let's talk. If you're looking to raise two hundred, you're too small. Mm-hmm. They won't even touch you. And there's a lot of such VCs. Mm-hmm. They set up in Karen, nice office, you know. Uh, you know, big team paying a lot of salary, mm-hmm. but then when it gets to like, so the term is like seven years when they get to three years left, they start to panic and they start to throw money after uh, startups. But again, larger ticket sizes because now they, they have to. Short time period. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So what I mean is this, <clears throat> what's happening now is um, we don't need to ask for permission. No one needs to allow us to make mistakes, right? Yeah. But it starts and ends with capital. Where's that capital coming from, right? So if that capital is local and our local investors are made to understand, mm-hmm. listen, this is how it goes. Um, two weeks ago, rather, I think like a month ago or something, um, I put my own money into a, a fish business. Mm-hmm. It's a basic, you know, someone brings in fish from the lake, it comes in, it's sold. Mm-hmm. I lost, right? Mm -hmm. The point is you have to be prepared to take those risks, right? If it goes well, it'll be successful. If it doesn't go well, it's not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. Win some, lose some. That's the general mindset Mm -hmm. of an investor. So in any society, not everyone will think like that. Just need to find those people, you know, those risk takers, like I said, I dropped out of college. I wear it like a badge of honor. Why? Because I'm not afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. I'll try something. If it doesn't work, this is not for me. I pivot. I do something else. You know? So there is a small percentage of people who think that way. Find those people. And when you find those people, they will then, you know, encourage, they will invest, they will support this other group of people who are change makers. Mm-hmm. And that's how the, you know, mm-hmm. and change in, in the, in the spirit of 
taking risks and uh, investing in risky businesses, which is a sort of the fundamentals of uh, venture capitalism to, to create growth. Uh, I assume you've, 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 you've vetted a lot of new startups when you're looking to, to, to find them investors that will, find in, will invest in them, that is. Uh, in this duration, have you sort of noticed a pattern that is common in the startups that fail? And if you have them, what will that be? Um, that's a good one. Or even succeeded. Or even succeed, yes. Or even succeed. Um, I think team is a is a is a big one. Like if you look at the person who's actually running the business, do they know what they're doing? That's very important. And then the other thing is, you know, they are also okay. So there are factors that you can influence and control. There are factors that you can't. Market market dynamics you need to read the market and this timing you know if you mm-hmm. come in at the right timing boom if you if you're in the, in the wrong time you know you can't control some of these factors yeah. what you can control is the entrepreneur or the entrepreneur team that's running that business they need to know what they're doing mm-hmm. right um then you have other factors like you know how committed are they mm-hmm. like i said interests and motivations change mm-hmm. Are they doing this full-time or it's a part-time gig? You know? Mm. Um, then you look at, then you look at, so even in a the market, there are things that you can um, at least read market size. Um, you can read, uh, you know, is the internet connectivity, if it's a, it's a mobile app. I know we try to launch uh, an e-health solution in Uganda, mm-hmm. somewhere in the village, internet zero. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so some of these factors uh, you can control and influence. Some you can't. Yeah. I think the t- team plays a very big role. Mm-hmm. If they know what they're doing, if they if they're qualified, then you can you can you can bet on them. And had you have had you uh, have you had instances where a startup has a great idea? but they are either looking for money too early or too late. And in such situations, how do you go about it? Do you like advise them or do you find them anyway? I would, I tend to discourage, you know, like money is not everything. Yeah. I know for a fact, uh, there's a time I was, I was, I was doing a fundraise. It must have been nine months and I didn't raise money. Mm. Right. Raising money is a full-time job. <laughs> Yeah, people need to understand that. <laughs> so, does it make sense for you to, you know, invest all that time and energy raising money or working on an idea or working on your business? Yeah. yeah. So, excuse me, I do come across startups where, first of all, they're looking for abnormal amounts. Yeah. You know, when when you break it down and you do the numbers, you're like, yo, you don't need two hundred, you just need fifty thousand. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it's, it's, um, there's a misconception around, okay, so I have this, I just, I need someone else's money to build this. Mm -hmm. That's where you find most VCs and investors say, okay, well prove it first. Mm -hmm. And then I come in, you know, I would also support that. So sometimes when they come, I tell them, listen, um, why don't you, why don't you prove the concept first Mm -hmm. and then talk to someone to give you the money to take it to the next, to the next level. Yeah. And to build on that, what do you look for when it comes to uh, a startup's leader? What keys and attributes, what qualities and attributes do you do identify in a leader and, and that will help you determine this is the right person or I'm willing to trust this person with my money. Mm. And also when going back to the Africa investor club, 
what are the what are the some of the startups that uh, most of the investors tell their money towards yeah, to, yeah. yeah what sectors are they in yeah mm. so now um majority of the investors i have in the network are from the diaspora mm-hmm. so they would go for things they know and understand that's mm-hmm. always the first step mm-hmm. so you have um women led businesses are a big one mm-hmm. you have agriculture is also pretty big and then you have um some forms of real estate so not not the traditional you know build an apartment mm-hmm. build housing units you have people who are doing airbnb now which is also pretty big mm-hmm. so um out in the diaspora people are more exposed and and they are interested in yes they want to make money but they're also interested in impact mm-hmm. so um you know does this business employ people how many people does it employ right um are they using technology for example now airbnb mm-hmm. which is doing very well mm-hmm. yeah okay. and do you think it's it's important for let's say you as a person is it was it important for you to or rather let me let me phrase it this way has traveling helped you see a, a better perspective of how you should go about carrying out such what um what Africa Investor Club is doing has traveling helped you see given your different perspective yeah uh, definitely i think um, if you see how other people do things it expands your your vision it expands your horizon so then you understand um you know you can see you can spot more opportunities you can um you have bigger networks mm-hmm. you have um yeah i think it, i think exposure is really the number one thing because then you know how it works elsewhere you can either replicate that here or you can modify and customize that to fit this local market so traveling is good yes but then again whichever market you you're in you need to connect and understand that market as well mm-hmm. And why in Africa have you seen the most positive response or rather your highest level of success? For now I've I've largely been in East Africa. Mm-hmm. So I've not been to Lagos, I canceled a trip last year. I've not been to SA. So um a lot of my focus has been in East Africa. And you know it goes without saying Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Nairobi is still head and shoulders above, <coughs> you know, other countries in East Africa. Mm-hmm. And what do you think we can do to as us as Nairobians um to involve guys in the in rural areas or people who don't have certain types of education to let's say they have an idea. What can you what can us as Nairobians do in order to Like accessibility exactly yeah. or even to involve other cities that yeah. look yeah. at diaspora the kisomos and mombasa so and dembos decentralizing yeah nairobi. decentralizing the knowledge ah. and, and ability that nairobi has yeah okay so um i've i've just been appointed on or rather to sit on the board of a of a, of a vc firm that's been started in in kisumu mm-hmm. so um so those of us who are in nairobi or those of us who are even outside of the country mm-hmm. We now need to start to spread and so you have you know people who are active here there's some gishurus and all these other people mm-hmm. they now need to start going out whether it's you go to Meru or you go to Eldoret go out to these places and plug into those networks i think mm-hmm. that's the first thing yeah and then after that happens um you know we, we need to be doing meetups in Mombasa 
Mm-hmm. You know, like like if it's if it's an, a community from Nairobi, you do a meet up there, mm-hmm. or you do a meet up here, and you invite them over. You know, that sort of ecosystem needs to be built. Mm-hmm. And then um, the second thing is, or rather, just to take you a step back, as far as Nairobi is concerned, we need to you know decentralize mm-hmm. this as well. Yeah. So not just Ngong Road, but also mm-hmm. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, not just you know. Yeah. So at this level, we need to go out further. There's no monopoly to ideas mm-hmm. and, and concepts. You know, there are people out there who have just as good ideas, but they're just not empowered. Mm-hmm. They don't have the networks. They don't have the social capital. They don't have that level of exposure. Mm-hmm. So across Kenya, we need to connect. Across East Africa, we need to connect. Start talking, visit them, have joint events, that kind of thing. And... Um, you, you can't say you're in the private sector, right? Correct. Do you think it's important for you guys to also work with government or have you considered working with government in certain projects? I shy away from government. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I shy away from government. I think also just because maybe I'm not um, plugged into the ecosystem as much. Mm. Um, I tend to stay in the private sector. Okay. Yeah. Cause again, I only do what I can influence and control. Right. And I tend to feel like, um, sometimes in government, there's just too many moving parts. Mm-hmm. And once you lose as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. once you lose control of the parameters or the variables, uh, then, you know, you can't determine the outcome. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Steve, what do you think about, uh, what about Nairobi's culture? Do you think, uh, makes the ecosystem that much more successful than maybe, um, in Tanzania or Uganda, is, it, is there something Kenyans do differently from entrepreneurs in these other two countries in East Africa? Or the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, to, um, to build on that, there's this guy, the South African, he's called uh, Vusi Tembekwai. Yeah. 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 So I heard him speaking once and he said that the difference between Af- Kenyan founders specifically and South African founders was that Kenyan founders build businesses to last. But in other countries that he's experienced in Africa, they're mainly short-term oriented. So why do you think that's the case? Um, Very good one. I think number one, Kenyans or Nairobians Mm -hmm. are hustlers. Mm -hmm. You know, people are hungry out here. You know, know, rent in Nairobi is crazy. Mm -hmm. You know? So, So people have that drive and that motivation to make it by any means. Um, if you go out to other parts of Kenya, for example, you know, a friend of mine moved to a Yugis, mm-hmm. two bedroom house goes for 8,000 shillings. <laughs> Why would you want to hustle yeah. your face off mm-hmm. and rent is that cheap? Yeah. Food is that cheap? Mm-hmm. So, so just by being in Nairobi, it's, it's like New York or Lagos. Mm-hmm. You have to fight your way through. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And then number two is, um, as far as you know, longevity is concerned or people building businesses to last, mm-hmm. I would say in Nairobi, people just want to keep paying their bills for mm-hmm. a long time, <laughs> you know? And that's a motivation yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. It's a motivation. Um, if you look at, uh, again, so so another shift, and I'm gonna, uh, you know, go on a tangent just a bit. Mm-hmm. Another shift that needs to happen in in Kenya in comparison to, to, to other countries mm-hmm. is generate no we not we need to start thinking about generational wealth uh, like you have people who build businesses that go for 5 10 15 that founder dies or that person dies and that business dies, dies. With them. Mm-hmm. 
So that's an even bigger problem. Mm-hmm. And and I love Vusi. Like I listen to him on the daily. Mm-hmm. Even in even in um and he talks a lot about generational mm-hmm. wealth. Yeah. And succession big planning. Yes. Yeah. Big problem that we have here. Yeah. So um if you if you compare if you compare um and I don't want to to go into defining who's a Kenyan and who's not, but mm-hmm. if you look at uh, the Indian community, yeah. you know, they build generational wealth. Yeah. That's why you have industries from the 30s, the 70s, still around today. Mm-hmm. Kenyans, Kenyans, I mean, non-Indians <laughs> also need to figure out how to do that, mm-hmm. right? So now we've figured out how to build businesses that can withstand the mm-hmm. test of time, mm-hmm. We now need to go into succession. Um, you talked earlier about timing being one of the factors that could determine the success of a business. Um, in your experience, do you think you can engineer timing into your startup? By timing, you mean? Um, like I have a good product. It seems like a fit for the market, but I might just be maybe too early. Mm-hmm. Do I sit on my idea and like disband my time, my team for the time being? Mm-hmm. Like, how exactly do you um, align the the market's timing with how you want to launch your product? That's a good one. Um, so the thing about timing is you can read, right? You can read and go, okay, well, it's too my, early. my tech might be too early. Mm-hmm. It happened to me. So I built a copy, uh, you know, we had a mobile app mm-hmm. that creates digital addresses that you can share. If if someone is looking to come to my location, I share my address, they come. Mm-hmm. This was earlier than WhatsApp. This was earlier than um, what you see now with with uh, the taxifies and mm-hmm. all this other, you know, because they use GPS yeah, and location. Yeah, yeah. So back then, when you when I'd speak to logistics companies and I showed them, yo, this is the this is a platform, mm-hmm. and instead of a driver calling five, six times to mm-hmm. get the location, all he needs to do is use a pen. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to listen to that. Really? They couldn't see wow. it. They couldn't see it. Yeah. Okay. Were we early? Yes. Mm. What happens is when you find yourself in that position, you need cash. You need, mm. <laughs> you know, what's your burn rate? You need to stay alive, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to stay alive. You need to keep, uh, you know, pivoting, trying to find different entry points. Mm-hmm. So, what happens in, in a place like Silicon Valley is you have startups that might be early, but they have enough financial like capital. Runway. Yeah. Runway. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. To wait or even sensitize the market mm-hmm. or even create awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, enough time for that to pick up. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have that, you crash and burn. <laughs> Another thing is, what's the... Is there any advantage to being like the first mover advantage? Is it uh, is it essential or uh, let's say like for a company like let's say Ukawapi? So is it does it pray me for success in case another challenger comes come, comes in later on or is it uh, is is the is the benefit marginal? Yeah. Um, my experience is I tend to see first mover as being more of a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, that, that was my learning mm-hmm. because you pave the way, you show people what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. So all uh, they need to do is just learn from your mistakes. Uh, they learn from your mistakes and they plow, they put in more money, mm-hmm. more capital, more resources, and they're able to do what works. 
because you showed them what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So fast mover, I think, is is only an advantage if you can move very fast mm-hmm. and moving very fast requires resources. So if you have the, re- because people are watching, yeah. Yeah. You, you do something and you don't move as fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nairobians are good. <laughs> we have this me too culture. Yeah. 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 People, people are fast and they'll do it mm-hmm. faster than you can do it. So I think um, anyone who's trying to start a business uh, as far as timing is concerned as mm-hmm. well. Um, fast mover and you realize, oh, I'm early. Mm-hmm. Figure out a way to get the resources, figure out a way to, Tilt the scales in your favor. It'll be like you yeah. <laughs> Steve, do you think um, in the startup culture, there's stuff that works almost everywhere else, but would never work in, in a context like Nairobi? Mm. Mm. Do you have an example? Um, let's see. Let's um, say Mpesa. Mpesa works perfectly here, right? Mm-hmm. But then yeah. you see a system like in the West where they're used to credit cards, then you you bring in something like Mpesa, it doesn't work for them. Mm. They find it completely foreign. So yeah, I think so, that's an yeah. example. So I meant it like kind of in, in the reverse, but the reverse. thanks for the, the great Go example. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, yeah. yeah, like you got it, yeah. but yeah, like, like in the reverse, it's just stuff that um, like it's standard procedure for, for startups. Do you mean like, like, for example, writing a business plan, if you're a founder or do you mean the work culture? The process? Or what do you yeah. What exactly? Yeah. Um, just anything you can think of that um, it's, it's expected of a startup to have mm. in, let's say like maybe Frankfurt, mm. place like that, in, where like it would be like a massive disadvantage in Nairobi. Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, one thing could be, you know, the vetting process, for example, mm. the the KPIs, the metrics, if you're looking at financial statements, for example, mm. you'd have a startup here that's doing quite well, but they wouldn't have that same, excuse me, that same level of success, not really success, mm. but the paper documentation, oh, documentation. Oh, yeah. documentation. So yeah. that would be different. Yeah. Mm. So, if you're if you're if you're vetting a startup here, then the criteria has to be slightly okay. different. Yes, the objective is how much revenue are are you making? Mm-hmm. There has to be then different ways to see that. Are you gonna plug into their MPSA accounts? Are you gonna mm-hmm. plug in? You know, you need a way to see how the money is moving, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be the same as you would do it in Europe. Mm-hmm. You just pull out yeah. a bank account and you can see everything. everything bank yeah. statement here it will be different. Because of the different modes of payment and, and this, that, and the other. Oh, yeah. uh, to ask you a question, have you in any time found uh, the legal systems here to be to hold you back in any of your businesses or in any of the startups that you've vetted when funding? Is there any situation where you've found uh, the legal systems to be pulling that business backwards rather than supporting it to move forward? So, for example, company registration. Yes, yes. Taxation. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Even bribing in some instances where it's too much even for a company to take off. Have you found a situation where there's something like that that's just holding a business backwards? Okay. So, when when you're doing, when you're doing like, like an analysis or an evaluation, um, the first thing you have to look at is barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. So, if policy or regulation or anything is a barrier and we experience that in Uganda. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a pilot of, 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 a, of an e-health a software platform, an app. And 
in order for us to do that 90 day pilot, mm-hmm. we had to get an approval. We had to get, uh, we had to sit in front of an ethical committee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too much red tape. So if, if you find instances like that and we pulled out, yeah. So one thing that, that we do is if there's too much um, red tape, if there's a lot of barriers to entry, you'd rather not get into that. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing your evaluation, you take a look at all those factors. Okay, so how long does it take us to get a license? Mm-hmm. Do we have to bribe? Yes or no, right? Mm-hmm. And again, those are factors you can't influence. So if you find that, that that's the, the environment, mm-hmm. you'd rather not go in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you think Kenyans... Can use um like you said earlier that mentality of um yeah I have to make it or I'm going to die hungry. You think we can <laughs> we can take that mentality yeah and apply it to opportunities within East Africa and if so um you think you can tell us about some of the opportunities that we can take advantage of in the region? Yeah, like which industry are you seeing the like you said in Uganda, you guys are doing a pilot for health. Yeah. Which sex are you seeing, uh, even us as developers when you're creating software, why do you think will be the most impact and there's a, there's a gap? With the greatest so potential gap. for yeah. innovation. Yeah. I think healthcare is one of them. That's a big one. I also think um, manufacturing mm-hmm. is also going to be big. And then um, education is also going to be very big um, and, and financial services. Mm-hmm. Financial services is still an industry that requires a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. And uh, Kenya is really a leader when it comes to, when it comes to the literacy around financial services. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about financial services, do you mean access to credit? Because I feel like, you know, with M-Pesa, now there's financial inclusion. Mm-hmm. But now what about financial access like just being able to instead of going to a vc if your idea hasn't really made any revenue or your business or your product just you know a bank being able to give you a short-term loan or a long-term loan Mm -hmm. and then um you can build up from there so as far as financial services are concerned i think um you know banks are losing out yeah so what that means is I'll take you back. Banks are not in the business of losing money. <laughs> so as far as uh, businesses are concerned, uh, venture capital is concerned, it has to happen outside the banks. Mm-hmm. What's happening in Europe now is there's an abundance of capital, an abundance of cheap capital. Mm-hmm. And then the, the regulator in Europe has put so many uh, roadblocks. So, so banks are not even getting into investments anymore. Mm-hmm. So now you have... Uh, the VCs that are now coming in to fill that void. That needs to happen here. Mm -hmm. And here we are looking at micro VCs, which I think there's not enough of micro VCs. We need micro angel. You know, like in the US you have a super angel investor. Mm -hmm. Then you have an angel investor. Mm -hmm. We need micro angel investors investing smaller amounts. Mm -hmm. So financial services, and I like you talk about inclusion. So then... Yes, there's M-Pesa, there's Branch, there's Tala. Exorbitant. Interest rates. <laughs> Interest rates. Mm. Let's not even talk about yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, and, and uh, you know, I keep getting these messages. M-Pesa is pretty much doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You take a loan and, you know, mm-hmm. pay it back within. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, 
um, there needs to be access to capital, mm. access to risk capital, and not just, you know, that kind of loan or credit facility from a bank or from an MFA. Mm-hmm. So creating systems and structures geared towards that specifically. Geared towards that. If it's going to be a platform that allows circles to put cash into yeah. Mamamboga, mm. you know, and then that system has like a built-in verification, validation, milestones, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So then the circle can track and see, oh, okay, so we put, uh, we gave 100 Mamambogas 10,000 shillings. Mm-hmm. We can see how much they made. We can see how much revenue profit mm-hmm. they're paying us. You know, that transparency. Mm-hmm. So you're creating financial inclusion, yes? Or, or you know, accessibility, access to capital, mm-hmm. But it's outside of, excuse me, it's outside of, you know, the traditional banking system. system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Because mm-hmm. the, the talas and the branches, man, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, mm. so you see um, a startup like, for example, that tala, um, where they have exorbitant interest rates, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when a startup is is um, creating an opportunity, but not quality. Like the, there was an example I gave last week where Winnie Bianima, the C- C- CEO of Oxfam, right? Mm-hmm. So she said that um, she came to Nairobi and she talked to a taxi driver and she asked this taxi driver who uses one of these um, taxi a- applications. Yeah. And she said, and this taxi driver told her that she gets minimum Meaning he gets like for a short distance, only 200. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he can't even make rent. The place where he stays, he shares a room with like three guys. They take shifts in sleeping. So like, even when like applications or rather this um, software as a services are creating opportunities, are they quality? So you as go- you going into these places and creating creating opportunities for these entrepreneurs. Do you look, do you look at the quality and the, like the income that it gives back to the community and whether it will sustain them, create other opportunities for other people? Yeah. Do you look at the impact? Yeah. Okay. Um, I definitely think impact is important, which is why like we had the conversation about, Mm -hmm. about Andela and okay. So how much is a software developer making here compared to software developer in Silicon Valley? Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, the, the two markets are different. The living conditions are different. But however much that person gets in this market, it needs to be reasonable. It needs to be something worth their their, their time. So um, I think businesses going into these sectors need to just have sort of, you know, an ethos of, okay, so if we're going to do this, then um, there needs to be transparency. There needs to be you know, the value, the value chain, mm-hmm. like everyone in the value chain needs to get compensated mm-hmm. uh, decently. So I can give um, another example. Um, this is foreign in the West. It's happening. Yeah. So Amazon, um, it wanted to set up its uh, second headquarters in New York, right? But they canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and the impact that it will cause um, the place would be like high rent and stuff like that. So like when startups come into a community, they like this, this dislocate guys, mm-hmm. people who've been living there in the community. Do they you, gentrify, do you, the, yeah, they gentrify the area. Do you think it's important that when a startup comes into a community, they have a discussion with that community or they have, instead of just coming and doing that thing, you know, mm-hmm. is it important for a startup to come in and like consider the community? Exactly, consider the community, yeah. 
uh, to go back to the Amazon example, you find, and, and I was just reading that this morning yeah. before I came. Me too. <laughs> before I came here. So you find, you know, people who work in the, um, you know, the logistics kind of uh, shipping facilities, mm-hmm. they make what? 15 to $18. Very little. That's very little. Uh-huh. So, you know, if you're making $18, it's like $2,500, $2,800. And you live in New York. Uh-huh. You know, it's just it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And here you have Amazon making billions. So um, again, it just goes back to value chain. So if you're going to have, um, you know, if you have a startup that's going to set up somewhere, Amazon is not a startup by, uh, no. Yeah. So this, this is a mammoth, a yeah. giant. But if you have like um, a startup that goes into a certain community, mm. again, value chain. So, so, if if you're getting resources from that community, if you are employing people in that community, mm-hmm. then and you make you know use of those resources to make tons of money, mm-hmm. that also needs to be distributed. So then the people need to be compensated at mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the Electrukana wind farm project? Yeah. Uh-huh. Up to today. You can see that um, the community which is around it has been displaced, land has been taken, and them themselves are struggling. Is it is it wishful thinking sometimes when we even last week I I I, I had a conversation we had a conversation about education and I I had some feeling of wishful thinking. So do you think that some some entrepreneurs when they think of ideas? On, or, or how they want to impact change. Do you think that we have sometimes wishful thinking or ideas which are not exceed, which are exceeding expectations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you how do you narrow that down to make it a reality? And even you, when you come into a business, how do you ex, like manage the expectations? Okay. I think you need you need a healthy dose of wishful thinking. <laughs> In whatever you do, mm-hmm. you've heard of um, um, they call it the reality distortion field. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. like you need that. <laughs> you absolutely need that because then, if 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 you're not that ambitious, so you don't have that wishful thinking, then you yeah. keep doing what everyone else is They're doing, doing yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then there's no change because everyone is doing the same thing. Yeah. So I think founders onto you need that absolutely. Um, that's why it's good to have a team. You have someone else who keeps you in check or, you know, if you can do it yourself, but you absolutely need that Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, things are not right in this world. Yeah. Right. So you need people who see things as they should be and they go, well, I'll just go out and build something to improve the human existence, Mm -hmm. for example. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's wishful thinking because people around you will go, well, that's never going to work. Right. So I think that's that's very important. You see, you identify problems, whether it's human plight, whether it's it's um, you know um, access to products and services, and you build a solution for that. And that in itself is wishful thinking because mm-hmm. you think you can do something better than what currently exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and going back to impact, and the thing you mentioned about uh, foreign capital mm-hmm. increasing the investment in in Africa, is it because the problems existing in in Africa or in other developing uh, nations are much more scalable and of greater impact and that uh, in their countries, in the developed world, most of the innovation there is not necessarily dealing with necessary things, but mainly 
providing things that are like an add-on to 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 their lifestyle. Is it the case, or yeah, what do you think about that? That's spot on. Yeah. That's spot on. That's what's happening now. Um, whether it's in Europe, US, uh, Japan, they have there's must have and there's nice to have. Mm-hmm. They have nice to haves now. Mm-hmm. Every household has a washing machine. Where are you gonna sell washing machine <laughs> in Europe? Right. Yeah. You know, you only sell one if one is broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, if you look at a uh, place like Kenya or countries in Africa, how many households have washing machines? Mm-hmm. So then, okay, why don't we build cheaper? Uh, you know, da da da. They can do that and come into this market and sell. So these countries in the West are saturated, and they all know it. Mm-hmm. They all know it. I have partners in Frankfurt. You know, me being down here is is extremely important for the business because then I can help them expand down here. Mm. Right? So there's two ways to that. The thing is, um, must have problems or, you know, problems that must be solved present a greater opportunity. Mm -hmm. But now I go a step further and I go, okay, so we have companies from the West coming in to Africa. Mm -hmm. So we need to wake up to that. But I feel like we also need to have companies in Africa going out into yeah. the West. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to uh, coffee, uh, avocados are big. You, you saw the report: sixteen percent mm. of, of of our export is actually avocado. Yeah. Avocados. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Then ask yourself how many how many Kenyan companies export avocados? Right. And actually, the few that do, they absolutely exploit uh, the people where they buy them from. The farmers. Yeah. yeah. Well, once once when I was there, you'd find that they'll buy an avocado for twenty cents. Of Kenyan shillings. Yes. Twenty cents. Yes. Not even dollars. Yes. Yeah. Even me, buy my avocado for like thirty. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. But that's how they cents. get them from there. Now you see the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good example. You know why? Um, look at look at the supply chain. Um, a lot of these companies that are local, they're actually foreign owned. Mm-hmm. If you break it down and if you go into the backgrounds, mm-hmm. so avocados going into Europe are going through Rotterdam. Right, mm-hmm. uh, a number of other ports, but I'll use Rotterdam as an example. Mm-hmm. So you have these these um, um, you know large wholesale distributorships that do import export. So then they come into Africa and set up businesses and buy the avocados for twenty cents, mm-hmm. import them and sell them for two euros mm-hmm. or one euro eighty cents. Do the math, right? Mm-hmm. My thinking is, why can't a Kenyan company go out in Europe? register as our import export company mm-hmm. do the same do the same mm-hmm. you get mm-hmm. so in as much as markets are saturated <laughs> africans still have a lot of opportunity yeah. whether it's what we produce internally for internal consumption mm-hmm. or it's what we produce for external consumption mm-hmm. or what we consume as well because Correct. i think we're the youngest nation yeah. in terms of um the age of the population. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Another question is, uh, there's this aspect of protectionism when it comes to creating opportunities for the local startups to go, to grow. I did an example of um, Tumba's thrift clothing. Mm -hmm. So you see there's some countries like Rwanda and I think they're planning on doing the same in Kenya, Mm -hmm. banning importation of uh, second hand clothes from US and other Western countries. So do you think that's a good strategy in terms of, in a larger context, not necessarily in that specifically? So how, 
what, what impact does it have? Does it is the trade off good? Because I think from my point of view, in some cases, it will discourage foreign investment or uh, participation because with that comes like capacity building in other areas where we have gaps. But in another point of view, it also gives opportunity for local businesses and startups to to be able to 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 sell their goods locally which would have been way expensive or not or not affordable by in comparison to those goods imported from abroad yeah. mm. so i think is um any any country mm-hmm. needs to protect its markets mm-hmm. right because like when that happened and uh, uh kenya had wanted to go on with the band mm-hmm. and they were threatened mm-hmm. with reviewing the is it the Agoa? Yeah. yeah. Right? So then they backed down. Yeah. So Kenya backed down. Rwanda was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's it's about protecting your markets. Yeah. The US they use the Goa to enforce mm-hmm. strong arm yeah. protecting their market. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So uh, a country like Rwanda, they had their people's interests at heart and mm-hmm. they said, no, we'll not do it. Mm-hmm protecting their markets. That's number one. Mm. And then number two is, um, again, when you do that, you create opportunity, Mm. you create more employment. So then, you know, the textile industry, it's a whole, you know, bunch of things that are going to flourish because of that. So I think, um, again, it's international politics is this and the other. Sometimes things we can't control because then there are leaders who decide on our behalf, (laughs) you know, but um, yeah, that's what it is. Countries need to protect their markets. And China, Germany, they all do mm. that. You mm. don't just come in mm. and, and, and threaten. I can give you an example. I know a lot of Chinese that, um, you know, they approach people in Germany, for example, and they're like, yo, we want to set up a company. Can you be our partner? Mm-hmm. Because they are their largest export market for technology is Germany. Yeah. For example, in Europe. Mm-hmm. And if you were to go anywhere in Germany to any office, like, hey, um, I'd like um, information about setting up a company. I have a Chinese bar. They mm-hmm. discourage you from doing it. I know people who've come to me for consulting. They're like, I went there and they were like, no, don't, you know, they discourage you. They know. Mm-hmm. It's about protecting their markets. Of course, they won't do it openly. Mm-hmm. But if someone sat in front of you, they tell you reasons why you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, at the end of the day, the Chinese care about the Chinese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Africans need to care about Africans. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing also is um, most of the, when you talk about startups, the, the conventional image that we have is tech. So are there any other startups that are non-tech related that you've come across or whose their, their core product isn't necessarily tech based yeah, mm-hmm. or software based yeah? A lot, a lot. And that's why I think um, we need to also just go away from uh, tech in everything kind mm-hmm. of uh, thinking. Uh, like I said, I, I invested in a fish business. Mm-hmm. Basic. Mm-hmm. Oh, they get the fish from Lake Victoria. It's it's put in a truck. It comes down, it's sold. Mm-hmm. Basic business. So once we master that, and again, it's, and, and one thing I've learned from, from, from Westerners is, structures and systems, systems thinking. So once you understand how to do something in a small scale, mm-hmm. analog, no tech, analog, whether you're selling eggs, mm-hmm. you're selling fish or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Once you understand how to do it in, in that small scale, analog. So now tech is a multiplier. 
So you involve or rather you include tech in that solution and you replicate mm-hmm. at scale. That's what Westerners have mastered, right? Look at um, which company is this that also raised a ton of cash. Was it um, the ones doing distribution for like foods? Um, Trigger. Trigger. Yeah. That's a basic thing that Mamambogas do every day. Mm. Yeah. But so they figured out, okay, so, so master that. Once you master it, you introduce technology to allow you to do that at scale. At scale. And you're in business. So tech becomes a tool for efficiency. Correct. Uh, correct. Correct. But we need to figure we need to figure out how to do these things efficient analog first. Mm-hmm. And then you, you involve the tech and then you scale. And when you say we need to figure how to do them, um, I can tell you're very passionate about education, not in terms of academia, but in terms of continuous lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. So what resources um do you use to grow yourself or to mm-hmm. expand your knowledge? Um do you go to you know networking events? Are you do you watch YouTube videos? Mm. What authors um, inspire you? Mm. If if YouTube had like a degree, I think I would right. So for me, I mean, uh, networking is, is is essential. Every week, I network. I connect with people who are in different industries. No more than I do. I'm open <coughs> to learning. Um, YouTube is an incredible resource. Uh, podcasts as well, like what we're doing now, you know, it allows people to just listen to a conversation and pick up what, you know, different things. Um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I also read a lot mm-hmm. because for me, I think um, you, you need to understand how, how people greater than you are or people who lived before you did, who did, who've done things, you need to understand how they thought. And if you, if you read, uh, you know, biographies, autobiographies mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just it puts you in the mind of that person and you learn so much more. Melissa's favorite quote, shoulder of giants. <laughs> yeah, smart people stand on the shoulders of giants right. completely. So Steve, in terms of the YouTube channels, books and podcasts, do you have any favorites you frequently recommend? Um, for podcasts, I go for School of Greatness. Mm-hmm. There's uh, one by Tim Ferriss, um, the Tim Ferriss Show, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And then there's uh, my absolute favorite, Gary V. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my number one. Uh-huh. So uh, Gary V on 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 you know YouTube. Um, he has a podcast as well. I think it's the audio experience that's also amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, which one else? I think those are like my top three. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when it comes to books, so Tim Ferriss Four Hour Workweek is a must read. And then there's. Um, Think and Grow Rich is a classic that I think everyone needs to read. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, those are classics. My my turning point came when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. That was my turning point. Highly recommend the book. And then there's... um, Running, running lean by Ash Moria. So, it's like if you're if you're actually building a startup, that's the manual. Running lean, running lean, lean startup. I think is boring. It's a boring read. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eric Lees is a boring read. Uh. So, running lean is more. Um, he took those concepts, modified them, and he gives you like actionable steps. Like this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's a very good book. And then there's um. Zero to One, Peter uh, Thiel. Yeah. yeah, excellent book. Excellent book, I think. Very, very good. Uh, which one else? Um, 
uh, then again, so so it's not just like like actionable steps on what to do, how mm-hmm. to build a startup. I feel like it's more of mindset, it's an, you know, personal development as well. Mm-hmm. And one book that for me is an absolute runner is um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. Stephen so Covey. Stephen Covey. Uh-huh. It's a must read. And um, right now I'm reading, uh, what's it called? Narconomics. Mm. Sounds interesting. I, yeah. I, I forget the name of the author, but Narconomics is, is a brilliant one that I'd also highly recommend. Uh-huh. And then uh, I'm also reading Super Intelligence, and um, that's also a good one. Also, yeah. just to understand the future and how AI and all these things will affect. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorites in terms of um, networking events you think um, African investors should check out? You mean locally? Yeah. Mm. Of course, you should come to the African Investor Meetup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the number one. But anyway, I think um, Meta has great events. Um, Nylab, they have great events as well. And a number of uh, local, like like um, angel investor networks, like um, Victoria Ventures, they also do a couple of events. Mm-hmm. So um, you just find ways to follow the venture capitalists and the angels and then you know, see what they have to offer because then they have informative events. Yeah. yeah. My last question. Um. So what do you do in your, on your free time? And what do you, I'm sure you experience imposter syndrome sometimes. What do you do to motivate yourself and just to keep yourself in check apart from reading the books and the YouTubes? All right. Um, maybe you can break down imposter syndrome for oh. those of us who don't know what it so, means. Someone who has a good explanation maybe you can explain it yeah i guess it feel well it's basically feeling like you're not good enough yeah. even when you're accomplished or experienced um yeah feeling like a fool basically or that you fooled people mm-hmm. like why am i here how have i you gotten know here. gotten here yeah. or yeah yeah but there a question on imposter syndrome mm-hmm. if you land a job in a company mm-hmm. that's on another level, like Google, yeah, like Microsoft, Google. Mm-hmm. and you know you've been. For instance, let's, let's just use that example. Mm-hmm. You know you've been a developer for maybe a, a year and a half. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, we definitely know for a fact that's not enough experience. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you land a job at Google mm-hmm. and experience imposter imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, is that still imposter syndrome or just reality? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's, it's a syndrome because it's in your mind. Yeah. Right? So someone else yeah. thought that you're good enough, mm-hmm. um, that you're worthy of investment if you're a startup founder, mm-hmm. um, but you think mm-hmm. or you believe that you fooled people into getting exactly. to where you are. I think so the, 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 the question is, when have you seen, when ha, when have you not seen value in yourself that exactly. other people see? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, you see a, all those words? That's, that's, that's a most syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. That's a heavy one. And yeah. uh, that's the reason why I asked you to, to break yeah. it down. Yeah. Because yeah. I think anyone listening to this, man, that's extremely important. Mm. Um, I go through it every day. Now I'm just being very honest. Mm-hmm. I go through it every day. Like there are mornings when I wake up and I go, man, you know, uh, do I even know what I'm doing? I go through it every single day. I think it comes from, um, the, you know, so like in, in, in um, so I live in a small town called Darmstadt, which is like 20 minutes out of Frankfurt. I always say Frankfurt because everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it happened when, um, like I was in the train and then there's, there's like two ladies and then they kept pointing and they're like, Steve, 
like uh says Steve the Ambo from Facebook. So then you know you start to notice like if you're doing anything meaningful, mm. whatever capacity, mm. people notice you because you become more valuable, right? Mm. Because you're either providing them with information, insights, whatever it is you 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 provide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People start to notice and and when that happens, you start to question. So you're like, okay, well, um am I really good enough? Because then there's actually someone listening to what you say. Mm-hmm. So am I qualified? <laughs> am, I, am I the right person to be, to be telling them this? Because again, yeah. um, you know, people then they hang on your every word and they, and they, and they, and they listen, they take your advice. Mm-hmm. Take notes. They take notes and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when that happened, uh, that was like the first time I, I started now to think, I'm like, okay. And it then holds you back because I have experienced that too. <clears throat> so then you find, um, you, you don't, you don't, you don't let your light shine. Uh, mm. If there's a better mm-hmm, way to put mm-hmm. it, because, um, you know, you, you, um, might might you feel like you need permission we're going back to that same word mm-hmm. you feel like um you know who who allowed me to do who this mm. exactly yeah now fast forward the point is self confidence self esteem arrogance mm. you have to trust and believe in yourself and understand that you don't need permission yeah from anyone mm. to be and that's the word just be and if if just being yourself is of value to others if it is uplifting if it is inspiring if it is motivating then that's what it's going to be so how i deal with that is every single morning i have to remind myself i'm like yo um what i'm doing is actually valuable and it's needed and my voice has a place and I don't need to ask anyone for permission to be. It's not easy, but you have to do it every single morning. And what, what are things that you do on your free time? Apart from being a serious guy. Apart from being. Ah, okay. Um, Actually, because a lot of what you talk about mm-hmm. on this podcast is when you're not coding or programming, um, it's good to also focus on your physical health because mm-hmm. that you're able to manage stress, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else you do for fun? First of all, mm-hmm. do you have free time? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. I do have free time. Um, I like... Okay, so I read, right? Mm-hmm. I like to... I'm a Libra mm-hmm. and um, my symbol is air, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to jog. I like to walk. I like, you know, just to be in the outdoors air. Mm-hmm. That's something I do a lot to free my mind and just, you know, get things in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love to network. I love to talk to people. I love to meet new people and just connect with people. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, you know, extremely <laughs> passionate about conversation. So I love to talk. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, that helps me to connect with people, learn from people, different experiences. I love to drive, you know, I'm a, I'm a petrol head. (laughs) So, um, those are the things that sort of, uh, you know, keep me grounded, you know, and I'm not thinking about work or anything. I, I do what I love to do and that's, I could spend a whole day at at the garage type of thing. Yeah. Mm. I'm done. (laughs) 
drop. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Steve. Maybe you'd want to plug in your social media, maybe where we can find you mm-hmm. yeah. or any events that you have in future. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, thank you guys so much, yeah. Melissa. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you finally made this happen. I really yeah. appreciate. Yeah. Um, I think what you're doing is amazing and I love the studio setup uh, you have out here. This is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very humble to be here. So what I do is um, I have the meetup and we're probably going to do one in the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. The African Investor Meetup. My social is is Steve Odeambo, Facebook everywhere, you know, across all the channels, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Instagram, Steve Odeambo. And then um, there's the masterclass. So we actually planned one at Meta and then the thing happened. Yeah. So we've had to reschedule that. Mm-hmm. We still haven't settled on a date, but um, all of that is on my social channels. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing that I want to say is about the club. Mm-hmm. So... The African Investor Club is essentially, um, you know, an exclusive membership club, which means if you look at the current country clubs of this mm-hmm. world, if you look at the, is it Capital Club, the one along Waiakiwe, mm-hmm. if you're an entrepreneur, you need to plug into such spaces, spaces. you know, such spaces. Uh-huh. Uh, most of us, I know I can't afford to join Capital Club, mm-hmm. right? So um, that's why we are we are creating the African Investor Club to, you know, put... You know, that sort of same level of networking and, and social connections, but at a more affordable mm. scale mm. for startups, for young people, you know. Mm. Um, so that's what the African Investor Club is going to be. Mm-hmm. So more of um, a platform where people can connect at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also have investors who are, who are part of the club and entrepreneurs who are part of the club. So then if you're part of the club, you have access to opportunities, whether local or international. And, and this, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. We talked about shadows mm-hmm. and um, how you have Dutch companies. Like, Google them. Like, exporters of Africa, Google them and you'll find they're not Kenyan. Mm-hmm. Google the directors, you know. So you find um, there's opportunity outside Kenya. So if you have a club such as the African Investor Club, you're an entrepreneur sitting in Kirinyaga, you're connected to an entrepreneur who sits in Davos or mm-hmm. Berlin. Mm-hmm. So that entrepreneur says, hey, do you have avocados? We can import them directly and sell them here. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of opportunity that I feel local startups need to be exposed to. Sometimes you don't need money. Mm-hmm. You know, you have uh, uh, a coffee, you know, uh, what's it called? Like, um, like you roast and package your own coffee. Mm-hmm. And you're connected to someone in, I know Germany, they consume a lot of coffee, you know? And if you have access to that market, you import and sell directly. So um, the club is there to allow local entrepreneurs to expand. If you want to expand, if your product has much value outside this country, because we have Africans in the diaspora who are part of the club as well, right? And if it's locally and you're looking for capital and maybe there's not enough capital to go around. You can have an African in the diaspora who puts in 100,000, 200,000. Mm. So I think that's the value that um, local startups need. So then there's also the training, the masterclass I talked about meetup, mm-hmm. but network effect, I think is the most important. Mm. All right, then I think that's it. Steve, it has been an absolute delight to have you today. Like we were saying, this has been a masterclass in its own. This yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So we appreciate, we are very grateful for you coming to give us, to 
uh, be a part of this podcast and we wish that soon enough one of these fine days we'll invite you for another one yeah, yeah. yeah thank you Definitely. for the support thank you for coming thank you, thank you. appreciate yeah. Yeah, yeah so for the listeners uh, as you know the podcast will be available on all the platforms actually right now I think we are on almost all the platforms <laughs> <laughs> so just yeah. go any random yeah. podcasting platform and you'll find Moringa podcast so just go there find us and listen us and as always leave a comment leave feedback we listen to it we listened to the audio quality uh, improvement uh, we improved we got a studio yeah. so just leave your leave your leave your feedback on the comments and we'll get back to you and if it's a question we'll address it in the next podcast mm-hmm. that's it thank you for listening and thank you to Bukachi and for the culture yes. yeah. 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 yeah if you want to record podcast yeah. um, we'll contact leave a contact him. for Bukachi so that yeah. we can actually promote his business yeah. Yeah. I'm actually gonna get in touch with him right yeah, yeah. yeah. Commission. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Uh, bye, guys. Yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Yeah. Bye.